0: This week on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. The San Diego Seals are taking the NLL outdoors. We'll talk to Steve Govett about the news. There's just two games and a lightweight five will break both of them down. Dallas Elliott is the god of goaltending. And by March, New England will be 8-1. All that and more on OTCB. Good lacrosse fans and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on the Lacrosse Flash, SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and Spotify. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for joining me once again. Only a couple episodes left in this decade. Still sounds weird, but it is true. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can find me on Twitter at off the crossbar or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com do you have all your shopping done have you visited the lacrosse flash website to get all your big team guy gear don't forget if you want the oh my goodness shirt or any other apparel on the site make sure you use promo code OMGUNIT20 get yourself 20% off and make sure you head on over to all of the lacrosse flash, the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Give them a follow. The boys are pumping out the content. And it looks oh so good. Obviously, the big news in the National Lacrosse League this week uh, moved on from the Dane Doby saga. And we got some really cool news. And it's been something that has been in the works. We kind of teased it a bit last week when the news started to surface that San Diego was going to make an announcement and all signs pointed to them having an outdoor game at the Miramar Air Base in Southern California. That has now been confirmed and they will play the Vancouver Warriors February 22nd on an airstrip. They'll build the box bring the turf, they'll build stands, they're gonna invite their season ticket holders as well as numerous military and service personnel, get them out to the game and it is just gonna be a fantastic, fantastic event and it sounds like they're going to have a bunch of things leading all the way up to that game, whether it's clinics with some of the military men and women or... Um, scrimmages with youth teams or whatever it may be. But we got Steve Govett on the show this week and he's got some, not juicy tidbits, but I kind of asked him because when the announcement came out on Monday, it was also the same day that Top Gun released the trailer for Maverick. And so I kind of joked with Gov about getting Tom Cruise to play Brandon Clulland in the make-for-TV movie. And not that he didn't pass that idea off, but he did indeed say it, that they're working on something. So we'll let you hear that interview in just a few minutes. But week four in the National Cross League has come and gone. It uh, was another quiet week in the NLL, just three games on the schedule. Sorry, four games on the schedule. Vancouver beats New York 14-10. Toronto goes into San Diego and beat the Seals 13-6. Seals now 0-2, just like the Riptide. Georgia beats Philadelphia, handily improving to 2-0. Philadelphia's first game of the season. They looked flat. They didn't look into it. uh, And Georgia is just that darn good of a lacrosse team right now. But maybe the bigger story of the weekend was New England going into SaskTel Center in Saskatoon and once again defeating the Rush. They are now 4-1 and one since 2015 against Saskatchewan. I don't know why that came out very slow. Against Saskatchewan. When the Lacrosse Flash game picks came out last week and myself and Adam Levy had New England winning that game, we got some very raised eyebrows and questionable looks from some people wondering what we were on. And we told them that New England kind of has their number. And it was proven again. And you have to go back and watch that game film to truly understand how successful they were at putting Saskatchewan in the position that the rush usually put teams. Uncomfortable in the offensive zone, on their back heels, not able to get really anything cohesive going through that offensive front door. Don't take penalties against the rush. That is probably the number one key to success when you are playing that team. If you limit their opportunities with the man advantage, you give yourself an incredible chance to win that game. And New England did that. They played a very physical game, a very fast game, but they also were incredibly disciplined. And kudos to Glenn Clark, and Clemmer, and the rest of that crew for keeping that defense sound, tenacious, but restrained. And then offensively, usually you see that rush defense dominating teams. But New England never let the ball sit in sticks. They had guys cutting whenever Ryan Dilks or Chris Corbeil or Mike Messenger would slide for the double on the pressure. When the double comes, you got to move that ball. New England did a really, really nice job of that. And as that game went on, New England just continued to have confidence. They chased Evan Kirk. I thought Adam Shute did a masterful job coming in and holding the fort and allowing the rush any sort of chance to get back into that game. But it was just too much and another big factor was the Black Wolves took the crowd out of the game. And when you don't let the rush score on the man advantage and you don't let that Sastel crowd start to get loud and boisterous you really do put yourself in a very beneficial position to win games. And New England is now 2-0. And... This may be a very big stretch. However, when you look at New England's schedule over the next three months, it is somewhat favorable to them. They have to play the next six games at home. They get this weekend off. They're back at home on the 27th to take on New York. They get two weeks off, then they play Philadelphia. We finally get to see them play Georgia another two weeks later. The following weekend, Vancouver comes to town. They get two more weeks off before they have to play Philadelphia. And then the week after that, Their final home game of this stretch, Rochester comes to town on the 22nd. They finished the month of February in New York on the 28th. So in that span of six games over three months, their biggest tests are probably Georgia and Vancouver. And those are back-to-back games, the 26th and the 1st if they go 50-50 in those, which I kind of think they might, I think they lose to Georgia, they probably beat Vancouver to where they're sitting right now. You'd expect them to beat New York, Philadelphia, and Rochester. If they can go through that stretch of seven games, including the six home games, they legitimately have a chance to go six and one and come out of the first three months of the season, eight and one. That may be lofty, lofty expectations, but the way the schedule is set up with multiple weeks off to give them time to rest bodies and remain healthy, sure, a lot of teams would rather continuously play games and not have those breaks because it breaks up momentum. You're not always practicing on those weeks off. I get that. But just the way on paper it's set up, there's a really strong chance that they're 8-1 by March 1st. It just so happens they're playing a doubleheader that weekend. They got the 28th in New York then they go home for a Sunday game against Halifax on the 1st. It's possible. And another little crazy tidbit, both games they've won 12-8. That literally just pops into my head as I see it on the website. 2-0, two games against Toronto and Saskatchewan. Two very good clubs. Two teams many predict could win their respective divisions and they beat them in their own barns 12-8 both times Doug Jamison, I apologize you my friend are playing some decent decent lacrosse between those two pipes you may think I'm way out of line in saying that they could be 8-1 and one but it's possible. New York, Philadelphia, Philadelphia twice, Rochester, and then New York again. Intermixed with a Georgia and Vancouver right in there in the middle of January. As they say, tell me I'm wrong. Steve Govett is rarely wrong. And... When he first moved the Washington Power, or it was first a part of the move of the Washington Power to Colorado, people thought there's no way it was going to work. And look where the Mammoth are now. They came into that city on day one and they did a remarkable job of selling it to the fans, creating a fan base, creating a quality championship team, and they are going to be a staple in that city for a long time to come. He now takes the opportunity to go to San Diego with his right-hand man, Josh Gross, and they help start up the Seals. And ever since they've gotten there, they've been pushing the envelope of not only social media, but things you can do with a lacrosse club. They have already this year had an outdoor team beach tournament, which was a really cool idea they're going to Vegas in February and now we learned that they're gonna play the Vancouver Warriors on an airbase Steve Govett the president of the San Diego Seals has been doing everything he can to help move this game forward and you can tell that he's extremely excited about the prospects of this game now the only concern is that what if it rains in San Diego? I, I haven't seen a lot of rain
1: since I moved here a couple of years ago. So uh, it doesn't rain a lot, but you know what? It could. So I guess, uh, you know, lacrosse is a sport that's been played outside for a couple thousand years. I guess I'm sure that we could probably weather another storm if we had to.
2: Uh, obviously, the announcement today where the SEALs are joining with the, the Marines at the Miramar Air Base to hold an outdoor game against the Vancouver Warriors in February. How did this all come about?
1: Well, Teddy, you've known me for a long time. I think I've talked about playing an outdoor game for years, um, you know, since I kind of got into the into management in the NLL and, and With the team, I've I've been trying to figure out how to do it. I couldn't figure out how to do it in Denver uh, when I was with the Mammoth. Just the opportunity just didn't present itself. Um, And then we had a couple glitches in our schedule here with our home arena and and their scheduling. So we had to come up with a couple solutions uh, that were, let's call them non-traditional. So we we put into action – you know, uh, a couple opportunities to look at playing an outdoor game. And and, uh, Joe, Joe Ty and myself thought that uh, playing an outdoor game would be super cool. And he was very supportive and said that we had to do it. And so, you know, for those people who don't know, Cam Holding works in our front office, works directly for me uh, as a player for the Seals and, and works directly for me on special projects. And so Cam was kind of tasked with going out and trying to figure this out. And uh, has done an amazing job because we had a lot of different ideas. Um, one of them was playing like literally on a beach, um, just not too too far south of where uh, the actual Navy SEALs uh, train at Buds in Coronado, uh, and that was a really cool spot. And it would have been an, just an amazing experience. And I'm not going to rule that out for the future. But um, that was a good one. We talked, you know, about some of the stadiums in town, Echo Park, which they have an event that week. Um, And then, you know, the Qualcomm stadium or SDCCU stadium here uh, just couldn't make a lot of these things work. But when the, the uh, MCAS Miramar opportunity presented itself, um, I think we jumped at the chance. And once you kind of get onto the, the actual runway with all these planes around um, you pretty easily see why we, we chose that spot and, and went through the process Pretty vigorous process to get it approved by the uh, United States military, the Navy, the Marines, and, and all the rest of them. So it was uh, it was quite a journey. Uh, I think we had a I think we had an angel
2: hanging over us and helping us out with that one. Well, it was pretty ironic that you guys make this announcement on the day that Top Gun: Two Maverick gets released. Its trailer. So, is there any way we can get uh, Tom Cruise involved? Maybe he can play Brandon McClellan for a face off or two.
1: <laughs> Interesting to say that. We've had a number of conversations with uh with the production house that's producing that uh that movie, and I can assure you that we are actively pursuing all avenues uh to create a relationship with, with the Top Gun Two franchise. So um lots of really cool things happening. Anyway, that was certainly one of my favorite movies as a kid. Um You know, and and in the the 80s when I was growing up, um, watching Top Gun over and over again, probably wore out the VHS tape for those people that remember what those are.
2: The relationship you guys have in San Diego with the SEALs, with the Marines, with the U.S. Armed Forces is something that's been there since day one. How important is this moment? And you guys said in the press release and with the media today, important of uh, an experience this is to give back to the military and those that protect our freedom
1: you know I, teddy i i can honestly tell you um you know it starts uh, for me um, and, and few people probably know my father served uh in the canadian armed forces in uh world war 2 and uh was there when uh, they landed on d day uh, and the Canadian forces landed with the Americans um, just up the coast, and so clearly, um, you know, that's a that's something that's that's very dear to me. And his service was important. Um, and, and when we came here, we made uh, you know the conscious decision that obviously, when you adopt a name like that, it's not done in any level of, of uh, with trivial kind of pursuit, if you will. I mean, we we did it uh because you know you you have to honor them in, in every possible way because you can't you can't do that halfway. And so um, you know the the relationship that we've built with the SEALs uh, and a number of those guys that attend our games and come and speak in our locker room and 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 you know really support us uh is, is super cool and giving them an outlet to do that. Um you know, and and every team can do and every team does a military night, mm-hmm. um, you know, and wear special jerseys and, and does all that. I, I've done that a number of times, you know, throughout my career, uh, you know, and as an executive in the NLL. But I think when you actually see the base and understand, you know, that, that these guys are putting their life on the line every day and, and going out and they're the real heroes in this process, um, that, that it, it really hits home. And so. We want to honor these guys and and uh, and gals and and people that support the military. This is a, a you know amazing military town, um, and and the entire economy is made up of of really spectacular people that are serving their country here. And and so it's it's for us um, something that that kind of had to be in our DNA very quickly in in San Diego. And so uh, you know this is a great opportunity for
2: us to give back. You guys have announced that you're going to do a lot of stuff in the community that week leading up at the base or anything you can kind of tease us with or let us know some of the activities that are going on that week?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is being formulated today. I will say that the YMCA, uh, the Armed Services YMCA, which is a little separate from from the regular YMCA, is a is a place of focus, and it's where a lot of kids for military families go and have a, have a respite, have a place to, uh, to get to, you know, um, enjoy a lot of opportunities throughout the city of San Diego. And so one of our focuses is a partnership with the, with the armed, Sor- armed services, YMCA uh, to connect to those kids and those families, whose, whose parents uh, or a parent is serving in the military. And so excited for that. I think we're going to do a ton of stuff on the base itself and a, ton of fun social media, but, but really it's about grassroots. It's about giving back. I will say that the tickets available in this game, uh, first and foremost available to our season ticket members. So, you know, for those people that are season ticket members today or want to become a season ticket member, it's a great opportunity to, to see this historic event. Um, and then the next people that will, you know, have the opportunity to, to purchase tickets are going to be uh military families specifically. Um, and so the limited tickets will be available, um, outside of that. So you got to be a season ticket holder to get in, uh, if you're not in the military. So that's our, our way of giving back the size of the quote unquote arena that we're going to erect out on that, uh, runway is only 5,000 seats. So, you know, it's kind of like, uh, get in now type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you're going to have to buy all the season tickets, which also gets you, um, gets you a ticket to the Vegas game and a hotel in Vegas. So. Not, not
2: a bad trade-off. Yeah, baby. Trade-off. You buy season tickets for the Seals, it's a pretty cool experience. Mm-hmm. You guys have done uh, an incredible job within that market, and I know you are really impressed with your social media group and what they've done to just bring more attention to what you guys are doing. Can we get this game on an aircraft carrier at some point so we can really get some cool camera angles?
1: <laughs>
2: well one of the places here in
1: town is the USS midway which is a an aircraft carrier that is um is anchored off uh downtown san diego on the embarcadero and we did approach them about um, about the ability to play the game there and the challenge was actually building something meaningful um we couldn't fit the um, arena itself onto the aircraft carrier and have seating so uh, basketball did it a while ago there was a unc uh, basketball game Um, but unfortunately our lacrosse field at 200 by 85 um, would fit alone but we couldn't get any um, meaningful seating on there so unfortunately that's the one we had to uh, we had to give up but another cool discussion and they were super excited to work with us but unfortunately we just couldn't pull it off and if the ball goes off the crossbar or over the boards, it's literally gone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's seal
2: food. Um, yes. You uh, so, you mentioned, uh, mentioned yeah, Vegas. I mean, you mentioned Vegas, and you know you guys, you've always been sort of on the cutting edge. Like you mentioned, when you were in Denver, you were always trying to push the envelope, trying to bring new fans and new experiences to the National Lacrosse League. And now you're you're going to a Marine base, and now you're going to Vegas how important is it to keep pushing the boundaries for you? For me
1: personally, I think that's exactly what, what this particular league and this job represents is I think we have to continue to push the boundaries and, and we have to be different than every other sporting experience that you can, that you can imagine. And ultimately, you know, um, promotional, promotion of games or or promotion of exciting ideas. um, You can't market the game traditionally the way it was done back in, you know, my playing days and even yours, Ted, when, when you talk about, you know, simply advertising on radio or, um, you know, advertising in newspapers and and marketing is completely different um, in the sport today in all sports today. And so being on the cutting edge of events, um, I think a lot of what people are doing are, are, and are excited about, um, and attending a live sporting event or any type of live event, it, it's gotta be experiential and you've gotta find a way, uh, to entertain everybody in the audience in a lot of different ways. And whether that means, you know, the game itself, which is spectacular in my opinion. Um, and you know, we should continue to look at modifying the game and the rules and how we play and. Uh, you know, we, we can never rest on that. It's, it's not sacred as much as I love it. And it has a long standing tradition. It's not sacred. We need to continue to push the boundaries on how we present the product and how it looks. Um, but it's the music and it's the dance teams and it's the, uh, it's the announcer and it's, it's everything in the building. Uh, you know, the teddy bear tosses and, and all the things that every other team is doing. Um, you know, and an amazing, you know, video display that they did in Halifax last week. You, know, you have to continue to find ways to push the boundaries um, because ultimately that's what people pay attention to and people want to see. And amazingly enough, none of it's done for free. Um, so, you know, you've got great owners in the NLL. They're continuing to try and find ways to market the sport and spend money. And, and that's that's something I'm really proud of. And i like to be a part of that legacy. And, and I think we're doing good work across the list.
2: Yeah, I spoke with your good friend, Pat Coyle, a couple of weeks on the show and asked him about the Vegas game because the Seals and Mammoth will play that game at the start of February. But he was concerned about the game after, in the next week, because of <laughs> everything that can go on in Vegas. Do you have any concerns about your team being in Vegas that week? And are you going to... Um, buy one big giant suite and put all your players in there. and Let Pat Merrill guard
1: the door. No, well, you know what I think, look, there's a national hockey league team that plays in Las Vegas and they seem to be doing okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And they seem to be managing it. I mean, look, we, we play in San Diego and there's a lot to do in this marketplace. There's a lot of fun that he had in this marketplace. Thank God this year, we're keeping our players out of jumping off cliffs in the ocean. Um, (laughs) You know, so look, it just comes down to how dedicated these guys are yeah. to their craft and how dedicated they are to a season. And ultimately you tell me one city in this in this league that you can go out post game and, and you know, do the things that lacrosse players have been doing for years. I think the game is changing, it's evolving and I think uh I think a lot more, you know, professionalism is has grown in this game to the extent that these guys are taking care of their bodies and the, and, you know, they'll have fun, but, but ultimately it's about, um, it's about the craft. And I, I think, I think our guys both on the mammoth and, and on the seals are, are going to act like professionals and, and treat the experience for what it is. And, and, you know, as it's, it's super cool. And I, I, you know, same be same will be said for the Vancouver warriors uh, when they get to come into town and play, you know, at MCAS Miramar, uh, in a one o'clock game in the afternoon. And, and, you know, with lots of time after the game, after the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots, lots to think about, but, but ultimately I think our guys are pros. He's
2: you, talking about, um, the culture and sacredness of the game. Now I, I'm a bit of a purist and obviously calling broadcast, getting broadcasting games. I have a lingo that I use the other night I heard, um, the Georgia guys using the word keeper all the time. And it's it just sounded odd to me because you don't usually hear lacrosse people say the word keeper. And then I heard Jake Elliott use the term pick and roll or an illegal pick, which is something we've always said, uh, but the league kind of wants to get away from that language and call it um, minor, or not minor interference, but an illegal body checker, or legal cross-check to create proper terminology. Now, you had a bit of a run-in with Adam Levi on Twitter a little bit where he was trying to get people to stick with one verbiage for different things. And you said that we shouldn't be limiting ourselves. We should try and grow the lexicon of lacrosse. Is that an issue that we're having or should people be able to talk about lacrosse in whatever sort of way suits them?
1: Well, I think it's a great question. Thank you for asking. But what, I guess what bothers me is we, we have, you know, people talk about field purists, right. or field snobs. And we have box snobs as well that somehow you have to say things a specific way or you're not saying it right. And, you know, I would only suggest to our friends in box lacrosse in Canada, and I'm a proud Canadian has a long history, as you know, and of Canadian box lacrosse in my background. And yeah, certainly I get it. And sometimes I get annoyed by people who call things the wrong way, but whether it's a man up or a power play, it doesn't matter whether it's a field or a floor, you know, I mean a field, when you step foot on a football field, if it's turf, it's a field, mm-hmm. right? And, and we step, we play on the exact same surface as those guys. It's green and it, and it's a turf. So whether you call it a field or a floor, it doesn't matter. The, the bottom line is there are a lot of people that don't know what our box lacrosse sport is specifically, and if they want to call it a ground ball because that makes them connected to the game somehow because they're an outdoor player instead of calling it a loose ball, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. We spent so much time in lacrosse, in my opinion, fighting each other, men versus women, U.S. versus Canada, box versus field uh, or box, you know, or, or or indoor lacrosse versus box lacrosse. I mean, what difference does it make? At the end of the day, we should spend more time talking about why our game is better than hockey, why our game is better than baseball, why our game is more worthwhile, more worthy of consumption and more worthy of, of, of the dollar of the individual ticket buyers or television watcher or whatever, you know, we should spend more time trying to grow that pie rather than taking pieces of the same pie and fighting with each other. So, they, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, but ultimately, you know, like I said, call it what you want. What difference does it make really at the end of the day? If you know, there's a, there's a 300 million people that live in the U S that maybe haven't consumed our sport. You know, I think we should spend more time trying to figure out how we, we create connectedness to that large market database rather than worrying about whether we call it a
2: fielder or more you guys have done an excellent job connecting with the fans in san diego uh, especially with the spanish broadcast how is your espanol <laughs> terrible <laughs>
1: i'm not good at all i do love to hear those guys call goals though it's,
2: it's the funnest thing
1: um i i just think it's really cool and and you know, I I don't know what they're saying, whether they're calling it a field or a floor, but I know that they're they're broadening the horizons of people that have never seen our sport before, and hopefully there's people watching. I haven't seen ratings from it, but you know, look, Teddy, we got a lot of work to do in this market. There's not a lot of consumers for the National Lacrosse League. There's a lot of minor league sports in this town that people are kind of being pulled in different directions. You know, there's there's rugby. There's soccer in a, in a number of different forms, both indoor and outdoor soccer. There's minor league hockey. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of things. And so we have work to do to introduce the sport here. And just because the Chargers left doesn't mean that we're filling that massive void uh, for pro sports uh, in this market. And, and we just have to continue to invest in grassroots efforts, uh, in, in, in all the things that fan development, you know, all the things that we're trying to do in the market and introducing the game to kids. And new consumers that's that's hard work that's like that's hands hand to hand combat boots on the ground type stuff that we have to do every day and and we've got a lot of work to do to sell more tickets in San Diego, but I can tell
2: you that we're working our tails off to do it. one last question for you, Steve. Um, obviously this year it's been great to see uh, Reggie Thorpe's son Gail uh, Daryl Gibson's son Tyson break into the nll we're starting to see that next quote unquote generation of kids your son is going to be one of those guys for the next few years how cool is it to see guys that you coached, played with played against um having their kids come up through the ranks and now starting uh to play the game that they really grew up watching
1: another very cool question um you know my son was in a national lacrosse league locker room you know, probably since the day he was born, right back in the Washington Power days, mm-hmm. and and then ultimately, you know, on to Colorado, and you've seen him around, and you've watched him grow up, and, um, you know, it, I just think of the number of young men that are sons of NLL guys that I know are either currently in college or making the next step, and Kurt Sire's son, and Jamie Dawick's son, and, and a lot of, you know, obviously Jeff T uh, and his, him coming up There's so many names of guys in the second generation of NLL talent, you know, and, in accordingly and, and, Watson and, and I could just, you know, the number of me is so cool. I think my son has taken a bit of a, a different pathway as he's played most of his career in the U S growing up with box lacrosse in his blood but watching all these kids play with them and having this great opportunity to coach a really special group of kids with the junior mammoth back in the day that are all now sophomores in college. Um, You know, I think obviously what Brownie's doing, uh, Matt Brown, sorry, University of Denver and what they're doing with us box law and Shaden, you know, giving these kids the outlet to play and then turning around and giving them amazing coaches, you know, and, and the names go on and on, but guys like Tom Schreiber and, you know uh, the the people that have you know engaged with kids to play the box game, I think what you're going to see is this amazing generation of players, and it's up to us as stewards of the game uh, at the highest level, ownership, board of governors, as we accept new teams into the NLL, there's going to be a necessity for us to have American-born players uh, and, and the outlets for them to play like the CCBLL in Colorado. You know, and and these types of opportunities where my son, you know, shameless plug was was named the MVP over the summer. Um, you know, he's a big giant lefty, and there's very few of them in the U.S. So they get they get the opportunities that maybe some other kids don't get. If you go read the book Outliers, you'll, you'll learn about that process. They get coached more than everybody else does. But you know, he's a big six three lefty that's that's hopefully going to do some damage at the University of Delaware this year, and in two years, you know. Cross your fingers if the kid works hard enough and is ready to go. He learns and understands the culture of the NLL and can come in and make a roster right away. And you know what? There's a lot of really good names, um, really quality people in the NLL where their sons are kind of coming up. And uh, man, I can't talk enough about it. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm talking too much about it, but it's something I'm really passionate about. It's something that that I, I really applaud Matt Brown and Shaden Santos for what they're doing. Uh, I think we need to do more of it. I hope to do more of it here in San Diego and, and, um, you know, would love to start that college box lacrosse loop here in San Diego, uh, because there's a ton of California kids that are going back east to play college or going anywhere to play college lacrosse and deserve the opportunity to be in that next wave. So it's coming. And, uh, I'm really proud of, of the work that we've done, the, the plant, the plant, the seeds that we planted, you know, 15, 16 years ago across the country um you're going to start to see them bloom pretty soon
2: planting the seed no pun intended uh steve thanks very much my man uh always a pleasure congratulations on this uh historic announcement playing at miramar and obviously vegas is going to be a big thing we're excited for what's more to come from the seals and hopefully a couple more wins down the road as well
1: teddy are you getting brad self to fly you to vegas i mean that's the
2: least he could do right uh, I have to, uh, it's a good point. You make a very good point, Steve. Um, I will definitely be sending Brad a message, um, and make sure that. It, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think
1: Brad self should be, I think Brad self should have you down in Vegas. I, I think call it customer
2: research. Yep. Yep. I, absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll keep tabs of everybody's uh, per DM and, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll take it from there.
1: I think it's funny how, you know, the, the, uh, all the Vancouver guys, Brad Shaliner and all these other guys, everybody wants to come to Miramar now and call that game. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? That would be amazing. Of course. Yeah. I mean, first outdoor game in the history of the national cross league. I'm uh, I can't be more excited and I wish everybody in the league could see it and be here. Um, everybody that supported this league from, from day one and has passion for it like yourself and Jake and the list goes on and on of good people, you know, that are, that are really passionate about the NLL and, and man, you know, love to have everybody here. I I understand that we can't do that, but um, you know, there's always a place for, for that support. I think, uh, you know, we we all got to start pulling on the same chain. Right. And I said it before, that that's really um, where this, this league and this game has to go is, it doesn't matter what you call it or how you call it. We got to pull on the same chain.
0: One of the leaders in pushing the national lacrosse league forward, Steve Govett president, of the San Diego Seals and Brad Self. Yes, if you are listening, I would like to be in Vegas for that game. I will be on my best behavior. So let's talk. Uh, but the fact that the Seals are doing all these things. Is very different for the National Crossing. League. Sure, we've had different events at games and different themes at games but we've never really taken it outdoors and for many of us Canadians who grew up playing the game of lacrosse remember the original boxes of playing outdoors on the hard pavement with dirt in the corners and rocks and puddles and the little four by four nets and the chicken wire fences and splintered boards. Like we remember all that stuff. And so I think this is going to be a, almost like a heritage type game that they do in the national hockey league where they go outdoors and play in football stadiums. Now, obviously it's not going to be that magnitude, but the experience for the lacrosse player to play a pro game outside in a box is something that we all thought of as kids. So I'm really excited for what the SEALs are doing on the 22nd down at Miramar. I think it's going to be a very, very special uh, game and event and process. Like Steve said, this is a sport that honors men and women of the service. Every team has a military appreciation night. So it was a very natural fit. And Kudos to Steve and to Cam and to Joe Ty and Josh Gross for making this happen and it couldn't have been easy uh, but we're excited to see what happens next and if they actually maybe make playing an outdoor game in San Diego every year a thing it might lose its novelty a bit but if they keep changing it up and keep putting it in different areas I think it, it really could find a way to be a part of a yearly thing in the National Lacrosse League, whether it's always done in San Diego or whether it moves around. But obviously, being a winter league, it's tough to put this put an outdoor game anywhere other than on the West Coast. So, but a, a great opportunity, a great initiative, uh, and again, great job by Steve Govett uh, and his entire staff for making this happen. Week five in the National Lacrosse League is a few hours away. Again, no games. On the Friday, but just two games on the schedule Saturday night. We get Old Rochester versus New Rochester as Halifax takes on the Nighthawks in Halifax. And I think this is going to be another great test for both clubs. But there are different storylines for each team. Obviously, Halifax coming off that big win over New York where I think, what, 14-4? And... They really showed their fans in Halifax what the game is about, how entertaining it can be, how exciting it can be. Sorry, it was 12-4 between Halifax and New York. But the team took a bit of a, an attendance drop from that preseason exhibition game, InterSquad, to their season opener. They did win that game. I think it was a very entertaining game, even though it kind of dragged on a little bit as the game went on. They need to, like many young franchises, keep that momentum going. We talked about it with Vancouver last week and where wins mean everything to a young team. And so I think Halifax needs to stay strong in that community, continue to get people out, continue to find new fans, continue to get them through the door and try and build on that sub 7,000 number that they put in in game 1. If they can get up to 8, get up to 9, start to build some momentum, keep winning games at home, keep the winning momentum going even when they're on the road and stay really prevalent in that community. It's going to be a very successful year for them off the floor. On the floor, they're still one of the top teams in the National Lacrosse League. I think Warren Hill really showed himself, but again, there are The other side of the coin, people were saying, okay, well, this is a Halifax team that was Rochester last year. Um, They all know each other. They're very familiar with each other. They're playing a New York team that is in shambles right now and really don't have any cohesion to them. So beating them to 12-4 isn't that big of a test. Well, the schedule makers may have done Halifax a bit of a favor in giving them the other expansion team the next home game as they take on the Rochester Nighthawks in game two this Saturday, six o'clock Eastern time. But the storyline of old Roch versus new Roch will always be there, no matter how far down the road it is, how far removed we are from the original players on that Rochester team that are now in Halifax, whether they're even in the league anymore. Like it's always going to be a talking point like Cleveland and Baltimore in the NFL. Whenever Baltimore comes to Cleveland, there's a hate on for them. So I think there's always going to be that animosity between these two clubs. And I think it's going to lead to a very interesting matchup. Obviously, Rochester did not have the outing they wanted in their first game in the National Lacrosse League where Georgia really showed them what was up and what it meant to be an expansion team as they beat them 14-4. to four. But Rochester has had some time off. They've been able to watch some game film. They've been able to get a few practices under their belt. And I'm sure they're going to tr- fix some of the errors that Georgia was able to exploit. Now, the biggest question is, what does Mike Hazen do in his goal? Because Craig Wendy didn't look sharp. He settled down later on in that game, but he was shelled from the opening whistle. Do they put Steve Fryer in or do they go even further and dress Rylan Hartley and give him a chance? I still don't think Rylan Hartley is ready. I didn't think it was going to be Craig Wendy's job in game one, but maybe he won it out of camp. But I think after that showing, you need to go to Steve Fryer. And if you don't go to Steve Fryer and you put Craig Wendy back in the net, that is saying a lot to your goaltenders and to your team. If Craig Wendy gets this start, Mike Hazen is essentially saying Craig Wendy is our number one guy. And if that's not the case, then there must be an injury that we don't know about to Fryer or Hartley for the reason that they're not starting. Because to keep Craig Wendy in that game against Georgia, that whole game, even though, you know, it was maybe just let him feel the ball, let him settle in, but to keep him in that whole contest said something. That was a message saying, we are going to give him this moment to try and figure it out. And if they come back with him, that speaks even louder. I think Halifax wins this game. I think they are still a better team, but I think this is going to be a very hostile game. I think there's going to be a lot of bitterness. I think it's going to be a very physical game. But I think Halifax takes this, and I really, really do hope that they have a real strong crowd in Halifax for that contest. The only other game in the National Cross League this weekend is Calgary at Colorado. Sorry. Colorado at Calgary. I'm not on the road. I'm at home. Come on, Ted. Figure it out. But it's life without Dane Dobie. And this weekend's game will be the first game he's missed in a couple of years. He's only missed one game in his past three seasons. And it'll be very interesting to see how this team rebounds from this. Now, they are incredibly deep with veteran talent on that front side of the ball. But a lot of that veteranship is on the right side. So we're going to see Jesse King be able to take his game to another level, which we all know he can, and he'll be excited to do. But it's now his side to control. He'll be out there with Dan Taylor, Ryan Martell. It's going to be a very young left-hand side. But it'll also give defenses a chance to maybe focus on Curtis Dixon a little bit more. Now you can't completely go away from the left side of Taylor King and Martel, but when you don't have to worry about Dane Doby as much, you could maybe give your attention to Superman a little bit more. I don't think this is going to hurt Cur- hurt Calgary that much, though. I think it's a big loss. But I think they're going to be okay over this stretch of six games where it takes them all the way into February. They've got San Diego, Philadelphia, Rochester, Halifax, New York before they get Dane Doby back. So that's a stretch of games where really Colorado, San Diego are going to be their two biggest tests. And if they can get through those games 50-50, I think they're going to be able to work through those next three games and come out of this six-game stretch with a positive record and still in the hunt in the West. It's crazy how this is going to work for Calgary. Like, if they had played Saskatchewan, Toronto, Buffalo, Colorado, New England, or Georgia in this stretch, it might be be a real different situation then the loss of Dane Doby becomes that much more important. But in this stretch where four of the six teams they play are within two years of an expansion. So losing Dane Doby on paper may look like a big loss, but it may not be that big at the end of the day. For Colorado... Another big test for them. Obviously, the loss to Saskatchewan hurt in their home opener. They've had two weeks off. I know they're all excited to get back at it. They're going to need another strong performance from Dylan Ward. They're going to need that young offense to really get into the groove of things. Uh, We haven't seen it yet on the transaction list, but I, I know a lot of people in Colorado were hoping that Jeff Wittig might be available for this week, and we haven't seen a final transaction report. We might get that in the next couple of days as they get to have a practice in Calgary this week. So we might find that you know on game day Saturday that they activate Jeff Wittick. If they do, that's a big bonus. Uh, another game for Warren Jeffrey and Brett Craig to really get their feet wet. But if I'm Colorado, this is a bit of a desperation game for me because... If you lose two games early on in that West division, it's putting yourself in a bit of a tough spot. They got to find strength early on. They got to be quick. They got to stay out of the box. and They got to capitalize in transition when they can. This is going to be a phenomenal game. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, just one of two games on the NLL schedule. It is the NLL, NLL game of the week, so you can watch it for free uh, on BR Live, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, but of course... The other game, Halifax-Rochester, available on BR Live as well. Now, let's get to uh, one of my all-time favorite players ever in lacrosse. And I usually don't say that about goaltenders because they're the enemy. But Dallas Elliott is, for lack of a better term, the god of goaltending. He played it like nobody else did. He was acrobatic. He had a flair for the dramatics. He was a damn good-looking guy for a goaltender. And... He was one of the true characters of our game. He loved to do different paint jobs on the face mask. He loved to push the envelope in what he could and couldn't get away with. Uh, He's a huge comic book geek and just one of the really, really great talents of our game. And it's crazy to think that he was the second goaltender ever to go in the NLL Hall of Fame. And when I quiz people on who was the first... Rarely do people even think that Sal Acasio got in ahead of him. One, that's how great Sal was. But two, I think it's kind of how underrated Dallas was. He wasn't the biggest, but man, could he stop the ball. And he showed up the biggest in big games, especially as a member of the Philadelphia Wings. He's got himself a man cup with the Coquitlam Madnacks. And if there were more international buck box tournaments in his day he would have plenty of world championships as well so for a guy who hasn't stepped foot in an NLL lacrosse game for over a decade it's time we caught up with the god of goaltending and figure out what he's been up to and what he's been watching and what he's been making and if he's winning on game shows but more importantly is he watching lacrosse still
3: a little bit
2: You know, I, uh,
3: not so much, uh, summer leaves anymore, but when I can in the the winter months, when there's a game on, and I have any time to myself, I put on a game. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely interested
2: in it. Do you watch it as a goaltender and, and pick it apart or do you watch it as a fan?
3: Oh, you know, that, that's a good question. I, uh, a little bit of both, I guess I would say. You know, uh, as a goaltender, it's uh, to me it, it's it's a much more settled game now than it was even ten years ago. Uh, as a fan, I, I think it's great. I, I like what the commissioner, the new commissioner, is doing. What he has done. I tell you, once you replace that old wooden trophy with something that's legitimate, uh, he won me over there. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to to watch the league grow and, and uh, see what's new. Uh,
2: a lot of things are new in terms of padding, equipment sizes, uh, goal sizes even have changed. When you hearken back to the days of, of Philadelphia Wings and Welcome to the Jungle and Spandex, what do you remember most about the glory days of the MILL?
3: Oh, the glory days. Well, it was... Uh <laughs> it was a run and gun, wide open kind of game. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the fan base seemed a little larger back then. I don't know, maybe being on ESPN helped. Uh, maybe just you know the times, some of the times it was just the uh, Gordy the MILL was uh, was one of those. It was a from a goalie's perspective, it was a game that if you had an off night, you got your door blown off. You know, so it was a very offensive, uh, a very offensive type of game, more so than the uh, running to the bench. Let's you know send out a defensive unit and defense to the bench. Send out an offensive
2: unit. It was end to end. You
3: had Gary Gates scoring
2: goals and then playing the... <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen much anymore. As, as a goaltender. Did it frustrate you when you had old guys playing defense or was it because of the time you had faith in those guys because everybody played both sides of the ball?
3: Yeah, you know,
2: uh, it's funny. I
3: was thinking about that the other day. I was talking to, to, to one of the U.S. box uh, lacrosse goalies and, and telling him not to not to be distracted by what goes on in front of you. So uh, to answer your question, you know, I uh, – I wouldn't get upset. I was I very rarely did I ever get upset or frustrated with what happened in front of me, you know, as far as defensive players concerned. Um, so Gary gate playing, Ben I know, uh, I know he'd be looking for a fast break and early, uh, early outlet. So I knew that if he was playing a man that may or may not get open a little late in the shot
2: clock you mentioned u.s box i know you're doing a lot of work with them and, and one of the big concerns with the sport moving forward especially in my opinion is the lack of a caliber for lack of a better term, or pro caliber goaltenders out there how is the young regime of american goaltenders coming up through u.s box looking uh not bad not bad you know uh
3: it's really tough to say, uh, because of this. you know, they're still on, they're still on the four by fours in minor. And when you throw all that gear on them, there isn't a lot of net to see, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: you know, so, uh, (laughs) they've got, uh, there's sure that there's a, a big curve. You can tell when you're watching a, uh, a Canadian-born box goalie that's been playing for years, compared to a, an American, but the, they catch on pretty quickly. Uh, they're athletic for the most part, and and uh, a lot of them are field goalies, so they have the concept of stopping the ball. You know, it's just reeling in uh, their footwork a little bit, a little bit, and not having them be so active in the in the smaller net with all that gear on. it. I don't know if I answered your question at all.
2: No, it, it does. And I think that that is obviously a a common reality is whether you watch a, a box goalie who's played box his whole life or, or just a regular box player compared to an American player, you can always see the guys who have played indoor and the guys who can't. But that's probably the best thing about U.S. Box is it's introducing the game to Americans at a younger age so that when we get to... You know they're they and 15 and 16 year old kids. They look natural in the indoor game, and that is going to continue to bring more Americans. And you're seeing that firsthand, working closely with U.S. boxing.
3: Oh, I tell you, man, I'm super impressed with what they're what they're doing and the teams that they're feeling. I uh, my first taste of it was this past summer when up to uh, up to DC for the Trevor Wingrove uh, Minor Tournament. There's a big summer box tournament there and we brought up a few teams and through the teams that i was with uh, played for the gold medal and i mean that's beating beating canadian-based
2: teams out to,
3: yes. to play for the gold medal games and i mean that's saying a lot
2: and yeah, they, they've come a long way and i remember the first time that shaden and his group brought guys up to the windrow they were getting absolutely pummeled and there might have been the one group <laughs> that was fairly successful but still i'm mean, thinking maybe won one game and that was the last game they played but as you said now four or five years later they have teams american-based teams coming up and beating the sandwiches and coquitlam's and maple ridges and burnaby's and having success in one of the most prestigious tournaments in all of canada that really speaks volume for where this game is going
3: well i tell you they've done just it's fantastic. I've never been, been, uh, been a part of anything more exciting or better than going to their Huntington Beach National locks uh, tournament that they have in California. That was unbelievable. The, the players are phenomenal. I mean, you know, they have that – they bring that feel across element where they, they can switch hands and turn on a dime and shoot on the run. You know, not something that a lot of box, Canadian box players do, you know. Mm-hmm. And, when I mean, you it's were – when go ahead it's it's growing very fast and it's 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 really exciting to be a part of it and and being involved with the goalies uh you know something that I didn't mention that we're working on uh, I mean if you if you look at a lot of the youth goalies of today they they kind of all look the same and they all play the same and it's it's you know because of the gear there isn't a lot in that uh, for players to see to shoot at and what we want to do is we want to pare down the goalie gear back to, to what it used to be and make it a, a more of an uh, athletic position so goalies have to move so goalies have to make a save rather than you know if they take an, an angle they know the ball's going to hit them mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. so when you there. when
2: you when you watch the league now and you see young guys like you know Christian Del Bianco who is a very active and mobile goaltender compared to uh you know a guy like Nick Rose who's very angle oriented and doesn't get post to post as quickly as say, a guy like Christian does would you l- rather see more Christians or more Nick Roses well i mean Nick Rose is a big
3: guy right I mean, like, he's a big dude. So I think if you're a big dude and you're putting on that gear, you're going to fill up the net no matter what. It's just, uh, Christian isn't that big in frame and, and, uh, he's active. But if you see if you look at any still framed images of, of them when they stand in the goal, I mean, you see the same amount of net. Mm. Good point. So I, I mean, I'm, uh, I like, obviously, I'm biased because I, I, was, a, I was a smaller frame and, was more active in the goal or not, and uh, I just—it's uh, good to see goalies like Christian. You know, he makes stick saves, and so does Dylan Ward. I mean, he's a big guy, but he's went very well for his size. So, uh, to answer your question, I—I I, I can appreciate both styles. I would like to see uh, more net visible, uh, where you know, meaning smaller goalie gear. I, I kind of a pet <laughs> leave of mine. With the new stuff, new gear, is the goalies that are taping their shafts up. I mean, there's no reason for there to be two or three inches of tape on the shaft if you want a marker to hold your stick. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, it's like a foot and a half now,
3: Dallas. Yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's like a paddle, like a yeah. ice hockey goalie's paddle.
2: Yeah, yeah, that that I mean, that's that, something that's only come around in in maybe the last three or four years that goalies have been starting to put that foot and a half of tape between the head of their stick and where they hold their hand. And that's the huge advantage for goaltenders because it's narrowing that five hole gap.
3: Yeah. And I mean, you know, man, you you scored a handful of plenty of goals on me through my legs. And if I, you mm-hmm. know, having the bigger stick between there, it does make a difference. It just, it's uh, <laughs> watching it. It drives me mad when I see that. And then you, go out and work with little kids, and they're doing the same thing. And they don't realize, you know, because they're watching pros, they're playing like the pros, and, and it's they're, they're taking their stance out of their game, and they're all standing in the net with their straight legs. So I need to, you know, reteach them that that's not how you play goal. You need to be in a crouch
2: with your knees bent and lower in the net than standing upright. I probably would have scored more goals five-hole goal on you if you didn't cheat and have extra material between your legs.
3: Yeah, I did have my little <laughs> an inch or two of, of spandex on the
2: yeah. of yeah.
3: <laughs> I did that for a couple of years and it, it did make a few saves. I got to tell you that.
2: Uh, you made a, quite a few saves in that 3-2 double overtime, Victoria Coquitlam, Game 7, WLA Finals. I we have been trying to find that tape because it was such an incredible duel between yourself and Anthony Cosmo. But when you go back and think about that game, is that one of the most special games you've been a part of?
3: Well, it was. Uh, it, it's special to me because it was near the end of my career. You um, know, mm-hmm. I was already in my 40s then, and uh, losing that game in Victoria, I mean, being, being in a, a such a low-scoring game, uh, I had a couple of games throughout the course of my career, I think a 2-1 to game against the Barrars when Metcuh was in the other net, and then a couple of low-scoring playoff games. But that one... I know the shots were up close to 50, maybe 55 shots or saves. And it was, uh, I don't want to say it was a defensive battle because there were a lot of good quality shots on it. And it was a game I'd like to have uh, just for a keepsake. You know, I i have a couple of bins filled with game video. And, and one thing, you know, it's not doing anyone any good sitting in my basement. So a couple of years ago, I made an effort. I started up a YouTube channel and, started transferring the VHS to digital and throwing them up on the internet for people to watch it. And, you know, you, you hear, but Dave Evans was a goalie I grew up watching and, and I was drawn to him because of his style of play. And he was acrobatic. And I remember him being fantastic, you know, and then mm-hmm. he talked to someone else, someone in New Westminster, and they said, oh no, the New Westminster goalie, you better come on. And I can remember two distinctive styles. Dave Evans was active and then Como was an angle goalie. And it would have been nice to have that video available to see it, you know, Mm -hmm. players of today can today can look back in the heyday of the M I L L when, you know, we're national broadcast television and all that good stuff. Um, When it was end to end action and goalies, you couldn't hide behind a defense, you know, and you you look at Steve Dietrich and I remember even Sal he's an American the goalie that made the transition into box very well was very effective mm-hmm. because he had to move to make a save.
2: Yeah. So was that was. was the first goalie inducted into the hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that he, says a lot, especially being an American.
3: <laughs> certainly does, you know, and that's, he was making saves. He was making stick saves. He, mm-hmm. uh, he, he just didn't stand there and the ball hit him. He was making saves. He earned his place. So, yeah, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I can go off on a rant when we start talking about gear and, and, and different styles of goaltenders, but uh, you mentioned the American guys and the American goalies coming up. I mean, they're they're watching the pros and they're trying to emulate them, which is, you know, natural. Of course, they're going to do that. So uh, what we're trying to do with U.S. Boxer is, is teach them uh, movements, how to make saves rather than rely on the gear because that's something that we're looking at uh, pairing the gear down, down the road, thinner leg guards, smaller uppers. I mean, you remember Marty, mm-hmm. he was the only guy making goalie gear for a number of years. And, you know, goalies were smaller when they played.
2: Do you, do you still keep in contact with Marty? Cause I know he's still doing a lot of good work. Off and
3: on. Yeah. Off and on. Yeah. We talk about what's going on in the league and he, <laughs> he has his perspective. He, fills me in pretty well on, on what's going on uh you know on the west coast uh with with the Warriors and stuff but uh yeah i, I still i think love his gear and he's, he's
2: doing great stuff you won uh multiple championships in the national crossing you probably could have gotten that that extra one with the Portland lumberjacks when you guys went into buffalo is there one game when you look back in your career that you would love to have back? I know you kind of mentioned that 3-2 Victoria game where it was one of your last games, but is there a game in in your pro career where you look back and wish that it would have gone a different way?
3: Ooh, in my pro career? <laughs> that That's a loaded question. There were uh, 97 was a tough year my mom passed. Uh, we had a really good team uh, in Philly that year, and my mom passed near the end of the season, and, and uh, it shook me up just as we we're heading into the playoffs. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to have that year about altogether. together, but uh, that year in the Pro League for sure, that's one that I would like to have had over again as a playoff game. We lost to Rochester, and Rochester went on to win uh, the championship that year, and we, we
2: were primed and ready to do so, but uh, I feel I let the team down that year. Over your career, when you got to the playoffs, your your goals against and save percentage numbers both improved. What made the playoffs such a factory of success for you?
3: Well, you know, I it's do or die, right? All the pressure is on, and that's where you can really make a difference as a goaltender. And uh, I just i I love being in that situation. You know, the uh, <laughs> Canada. The seven-game series, we pushed the Salmon Belly several times and beat them in seven games to to advance. And we were, you know, we were less of a team, so to speak. But in the pro league, one and done, you have to you have to play well. You can't afford to give up any bad goals to advance. And I I just love the pressure being in that situation
2: as a goalie. The 2001 Man Cup you guys won in Vancouver when you're playing at the Pacific Coliseum, it was Adnax against Excelsior's, uh, an incredible series. Obviously, Doylers scoring that goal late with Kimbo Squire in the pick and roll. How special was that? Because it wasn't too often that we were seeing exciting Man Cups that were sort of played at neutral sites.
3: Yeah, you know, that is funny reflecting on it. it, it at the time, it, it our Man Cup that year was beating Victoria uh,
2: mm-hmm.
3: in, in the playoffs. They were, you guys, I think you guys were undefeated.
2: Yeah, we went 19
3: Yeah, and uh, I believe you played against Burnaby. It, it, correct me if I was wrong, and they beat you a game or two, and
2: we knew yeah, that. The, in the, yeah, in the first round of the playoffs, yeah, we did lose one or two that first round, and then we went on to you guys and lost in six.
3: Yeah, and, and I mean... Uh, that was our man cup, and after having a long winter, you know, winning we beat we beat Toronto that year. Uh, Philly went into Toronto and we beat them. Uh, that was a huge, uh, obviously a, a big feather in the hat, as the old folks mm-hmm. say. Uh, so winning that game, it took a while to to come down from that. And uh, when we beat you guys, that was our man cup, you know. Uh, and then we face off against Brampton, who were a bunch of little Smurfs, and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was a diff- difficult series because so many of our guys were worn worn mm-hmm. out uh, mm-hmm. the victorious. And you talk to anyone that plays in the, the backup, uh, they'll tell you that it's a game and uh, you, know, you got to survive. And I was just happy it was over, and I'm glad we won it. I could barely barely lift my arms up to the to the crossbar by the end of that series. It, it uh it was a tough one and I <laughs> obviously I'm glad we won. It was the only man cup I've uh, won. <laughs> yeah,
2: those are the most special ones, right? The the ones where yeah, sure. because you like you said it's a war of attrition. You may never get back there. It's it's best of 7 series for for a whole summer. It's not easy to get there and even harder to win.
3: Yeah, you know, we had the time we had the type of team where uh you know, we didn't show up the first two games, and we lost them. And then, okay, we need to win a game, so we won the next two. And in that game, it was as if we were sleeping all game, and then came to life when we needed to. Yeah, that that,
2: that was a heck, then, heck of a makeup series.
3: <laughs> watching that final five or ten minutes, it's, it's hilarious. And yeah. then you, you ask about playing, and playing in neutral sites. That was a real, uh, that was a sore spot for us. Because, you know, you play in your arena. And you're you're accustomed to the to the sight lines and everything. Then they throw us in that big old cavernous Coliseum where uh, where the floor is is gray, the the seating there's no one in the seats and it was just an awful building to play in. And, and our guys you now we didn't have we didn't have an advantage playing in that yeah. building. You know what that's like, right? And it's yeah, it was awful. It took us yeah. well even through seven games we it was a disappointment that play had to play in there.
2: How, uh, not how, but was the Price is Right set up? Did you and Bob Barker go way back? Was that an inside job, or did they actually call your name legit? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. That's funny you, that you ask.
3: We, uh... no, I don't know Bob. I don't know Bob at all. <laughs> he was a very nice, very nice man. I remember watching him when I was a kid when, on black and white television, that's how far back he goes, but uh, we had a, the wings, we had a, a uh, Western swing, you know, road up. And uh, I would think Lindsey Sanderson, he was a coach that year. And so we, we went to Arizona. We played Friday in Arizona. And then I think Sunday or Saturday in Anaheim. And looking at the schedule, we had the uh, next weekend we have, we had off. So, uh talking to the guys that say hey well let's stay a week in, in California and have, have a little bit of fun so when i figured that out i went up the price is right because it was a game show i enjoyed watching as a kid and the odd afternoon on television if it was <laughs> i'd watch it mm-hmm. so we got the tickets we went went to the uh studio and it's a lengthy process to even get into the studio they uh, they make you get up really early to get the tickets. You have to wait for tickets, then you have to go back and wait. Again, that's uh, the producers, I guess. They see you in groups of four. They bring you up and there are three producers and they interview all four of you, uh, one at a time. And uh, when, after they interviewed, they had a pretty good uh, idea of that I would get called. Uh, <laughs> they, were, they were interested and intrigued. Uh, you know, it was pouring rain they had. It was one of the rainfalls out in Cali that caused all these mudslides and flooding and everything. And, you know, here are our East Coast lacrosse players. We're expecting sunshine. So we all dressed the part for for sunny weather. And I'm wearing this tacky Hawaiian shirt. And I believe I had uh, bleached blonde hair at the time. So I looked like Spicoli uh, <laughs> some fast times. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a fun experience to say the least. You know, and after winning we went out
2: to California and had some fun. It was it was so you fun. don't have you don't have any fun on the road, do you Dally? No, no, no. Not at no, all. No, not at all. Um Try to behave. Try to behave. Uh a couple more minutes with you before we let you go. Obviously Star Wars, uh, the final chapter comes out this week. I know you're a massive, massive comic book guy. Are you a Marvel, the D C guy? What's your go to? Well, it's funny on
3: Batman. Uh I love Batman because yeah. he's just a regular guy that uh likes to straighten out the criminals and uh from DC. So I guess Batman would be my top selection. Spider-Man would be my second choice from Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Star he, Wars, didn't,
2: he didn't go either way.
3: You no, Marvel no,
2: or I, DC,
3: uh, it was either way. Yeah, either way. It uh depending on the artist who uh, who the uh, Whoever was drawing Batman at the time or whoever was drawing Spider Man, those are the books that I bought.
2: Yeah.
3: And then Star yeah. Wars,
2: did you ever get into that?
3: You know, I was a little, Star Wars, a little indifferent. I guess I was at the age where uh, when I saw it in the theater, it was all right. You know, uh, I'm not a diehard Star Wars fan, but I'm excited for the movie for my son because he loves Star Wars. So yeah. we'll, we'll be going either this weekend or next week sometime.
2: Xander's, what, 10 now? 11?
3: He's 10. Yeah. Yeah. We only have one. So, uh, he's, you know, he's the air that we breathe and spend a lot of time with him playing with him doing stuff. And he, he loves comic books, but he, he does love, uh,
2: sci-fi a little bit more. And and you and your wife, Daria really like to get into the Comic-Con stuff and dress up and, and, and be Batman and, and, and dress up and and do the comic stuff still.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, she was in
2: radio for a number of years. So she, uh,
3: it was her job to be there at these comic cons and do some reporting. So she also enjoyed dressing up. And uh, now we go, we might go once a year and dress up uh, the two of us. <laughs> it's it's almost too much work to put on the bat suits <laughs> Not as much fun as it used to be, but uh, yeah, we, we do. And you know, our, our son, he's getting a little bit older now. So he wants to do his own thing. We used to go as a Batman family. Uh, my wife has a Instagram and accounts, you know, the dork backwards. So we're uh, there's a whole bunch of shots of our family on there dressed
2: up in our back family suits. Uh, one last question for you. What's the one lesson you leave all your gold-tending prodigies with? Ooh. And don't say lead with a stick because that's cliche.
3: One lesson.
2: Oh, man.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, to have a short memory. Yeah, good one never don't get too high or too low ever. You know, you, uh, I know that's not a one word answer, but you know, don't focus on the outcome. Focus
2: on the process. How many times have you heard that one? From goaltenders? A lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My don't friend, look- uh, yeah it, it, this was a, a wonderful trip down memory lane. It, it's been far too long. And you're one of my favorites growing up. One of my favorites to watch, play against, shoot on. Uh, I hated when you stopped me, but uh, I know you're just doing your job, and and your job is to create the next great goaltenders in the United States, and you're doing a heck of a job with that. So congratulations on everything. All the best over the holidays to the family, and and appreciate you coming on the show.
3: Hey, Teddy, thanks so much for having me on. I'm a big fan of what you're doing. It's uh, lacrosse needs more people like you out there, and playing against you, you always gave me fits with your twisters. So (laughs) it's good talking to you
0: when one of your idols says that your shot gave him fits, could be, could be one of the highlights of my life because I remember watching Dallas as a kid when he was a member of the Coquitlam Madnax playing against uh, the old Victoria Payless and the Victoria Shamrocks. Watching him in junior as a member of the Burnaby, I think they were the Vision back in the day. He was just the best. And when he was the first guy I scored a a National Lacrosse League goal against uh, in Philadelphia, found a loose ball from a pass from Kurt Miloski, dunked it in far side over his shoulder. Never forget that moment. And heck, my business card when I first started in this industry was a picture of me on a breakaway shooting on Dallas, and I was going twister five hole. Pretty sure he stopped it, though that time but just a, an icon of our sport and one of the true gentlemen uh, a guy that is always willing to talk shop always willing to give back and, and lend a hand to the youngsters of our game and he's doing great job with u.s Boxla, and, and he's gonna help mold some really talented lacrosse players and if they can figure out goaltending pads for you know the right size and the right dimensions and it doesn't get out of hand I think we're gonna see more American goaltenders because we need more American goaltenders. If you want to find any of Dallas's stuff on social media, you can follow him on Instagram. Uh, he's god of goaltending, but more importantly, if you want to see some really really cool old lacrosse game film, find Dallas's account on YouTube. H O F Netminder thirty five. Like just. On the top page, you got 2001 Washington at Philly, 98 Rochester at Buffalo, the 2000 WLA Finals Coquitlam and v- Victoria, 03 Buffalo Rochester playoffs, and 04 NLL playoffs Calgary at San Jose. So those are just a few of the games, and he's got a ton of videos. Old Baltimore Thunder, old news reels, old WLA. Go back and watch some of that old stuff. Watch. Watch how he plays not only that, but watch the equipment they're wearing. Watch some of the guys that are playing without face masks or with the football punter face mask. Like, guys using wood sticks, it's phenomenal, some of the footage that Dallas has. And if you have old footage that's on VHS, contact Dallas. Send him your tape, let him convert it to a file, let him put him up on YouTube, because that stuff's gold. And we need more of that stuff because... That's the history and heritage of our game. And I think that's one of the one things that makes the NFL property so special because they have NFL films dating back to Super Bowl I. And it's unfortunate that, you know, we all talk that this is the 34th year of the National Lacrosse League and we don't have a lot of the footage from the early days of our league. We don't even have game stats and sheets from the early days in our league. So we're losing some of that history and some of that heritage. So if you have any of that, get it in the hands of people who can use it, put it out there, and let us all relish in the greatness of our sport. That'll do it for another episode here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Thank to Steve Govett, Thanks to Dallas Ellick, and of course, thanks to you for always listening here on Spotify, the Lacrosse Flash, NLL Radio, and SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at offthecrossbar. You can email me gmail.com. I'll take the Thunderbirds. I'll take the Mammoth, and I'll take a couple extra cool presents under the tree. Thanks. Thank We'll talk to you after Christmas. Enjoy the games this weekend, everyone. And remember, be excellent to each other.